0: Hello and welcome to Raising the Bar. I am your host, Aaron Mulcahy, and today I am delighted to be joined by Jeff Wolfe, a.k.a. The FlexiBull.
1: How are you, Jeff? Doing well. How are you? Good, man.
0: Thank you very much for joining me. Jeff is based in sunny Florida.
1: That's right.
0: You're actually the second guy we've had on from Florida. We had a guy by the name of Jacob Harden a few weeks ago, I think. He was on I believe he's based in Orlando which is close to Florida. Is that right? Okay.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's probably about an hour and a half from us. So that's like the central part of Florida and we're we're over on the west the west coast of Florida. So
0: cool cool. Um, but yeah thank you for joining me Jeff I um, really appreciate it. And today our topic of discussion is going to be around flexibility. Okay. So for anyone that doesn't know Jeff or doesn't follow his work um he is a phenomenally flexible man, but also extremely strong, okay? That's why he's a brilliant person to have on to talk, talk around this, this topic. And without further ado, I'm going to leave Jeff introduce himself. Um, just maybe a bit about your background and, and what you maybe currently do, Jeff. Uh, from, from a yeah. Point of view.
1: yeah, so I guess um, athletically, my background started way back when I was a young kid, five, four or five years old, I started playing baseball um i was pretty much a one sport guy um so for most of my life that's all i did was was played baseball i was a huge baseball player huge baseball fan um when i got old enough it it basically became three seasons a year so you know baseball is typically seen as like a spring sport but um you know i i, I grew up a lot most of my life in north carolina in the states and north carolina is like the the motherland of baseball they have more minor league baseball teams in in north carolina than any other state uh in the country and um that's what i did and i loved it and i was a catcher um played other positions too but predominantly catcher that was my favorite position um and you know three seasons a year the only time once i got into like middle school high school i started playing basketball in the off season during the winter just to uh have some sport to play but you know, was never at the level that the other guys at ATG are at. Um, And, you know, that, that was pretty much it. Um, I moved around a lot my senior year uh, of high school Uh, parents were the dad was in the military. So when I got to my, I basically moved in the middle of the year, my senior year of high school, didn't play baseball my senior year. And and at that point I pretty much given it up. Um, And after high school, um, basically went into crossfit like i wanted something to do i didn't really um know what else to do at that time and i you know i graduated high school in in 2008 i'm 30 so that was like the heyday of crossfit that was like the golden the golden days in my opinion of crossfit still was um grassroots still was really small you still went to these like dinky boxes with minimal equipment and like kind of really, like I said, in my point, like it was really bare bones. And, you know, there was no such thing as sponsors. Nike was not involved. Reebok was barely involved. I think the Nano one, it was like kind of the first shoe that was still out there. So I did CrossFit probably on and off for about, I would say four to six years um, with a little bit of just Typical like bodybuilding stuff thrown in randomly going to. I lived in New York for a good por- portion of that time. So, um, trained a little bit at Black Box in New York, which was one of the first CrossFit gyms in the States. Um, and then just trained at like local kind of Globo gyms. Uh, like I said, just doing bodybuilding work. But I always had these nagging kind of, I guess you could say, tightness. I, I never really had pain. Um, Until later, I I did end up spraining my AC joint, but um, just weird stuff. And so since we're talking about mobility and flexibility today, you know, my first kind of introduction to that through CrossFit, obviously, was the man we all know, uh, the the supple leopard, uh, Kelly Storette, as he's known, um, which was a good first introduction to mobility. Uh, I guess we could talk a little bit more about that later, but it didn't really do anything for me. you know, things just kind of kept coming back and popping up. Like it, it things would get handled for a little bit and whatever. So um, I, I went on and, and through CrossFit found a podcast f- by Coach Summers that Barbell Shrugged did. So way back when Barbell Shrugged was just like a few guys in a microphone and they they were, inter- they were more predominantly based around CrossFit. I think they've kind of moved away from that, but they were mostly interviewing CrossFit athletes and stuff like that at the time. Um, And they had Coach Summers on. And Coach Summers kind of talked about – he talked about training and he talked about what people lacked in their training and how CrossFit kind of got gymnastics all wrong. And and then he kind of went into the – they're missing the whole flexibility, mobility aspect. And so that kind of got me looking into Coach Summers. Uh, Was part of the Gymnastic Bodies training system for probably three or four years. Ended up working for Gymnastic Bodies myself trained with Coach Summers, worked with Coach Summers and a lot of the other affiliates and stuff uh, in their system at the time. Um, you know, the list goes on. Done done training from Charles Poliquin uh, and his trainers that he's trained, you know, that's kind of trickled down. And, and a lot of the guys that he's trained have gone off to kind of create their own systems. And so I've trained under a lot of those guys. Um, you know, just a huge base there. But what really caught me was, um, was, 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 was flexibility training and true flexibility training. Um, I had dealt with these issues in my body for so long being a baseball player. And for anyone who may not be familiar with baseball, uh, obviously it's, it's a popular sport, but it is predominantly an American sport. Um, it's like most sports, a rotational sport. So I spent my whole life from the time I was five until I was at least you know, 18 years old, basically rotating one direction uh, three quarters of the year. And never rotating the other direction. And if you just think about like the kind of effect that'll put on your body, uh, it can create a lot of issues. You know, golfers, tennis players, they all kind of get these same these same problems: uh, hip, low back, shoulder. Um, and like I said, like the the typical like CrossFit was my first because baseball culture doesn't really train, right? Like you like not now. It's changing a little bit now. It's still hard to get a baseball player in the weight room, but um, when I played, you didn't unless you were at the batting cage or on the field or pitch, you know, throwing with your dad or whoever, like you, yeah, that's all you did for baseball. You know, there was no like, like physical training really for it. Um, so when I finally did get into training, all these rotational patterns that I had created and these unilateral patterns that I had created started showing up when you put a barbell in somebody's hands. Right. And um, obviously the coaching is like, it's not so great. Right. So like when you're in a class of, of 20, 30 people, you can't really coach an individual on things or like, or you don't speak up. Right. Cause you're like, something's bothering you, but you just want to like tough it out and you want to like get through the workout and you want to do your wad and you just want to go home and like, you know, maybe it'll go away, whatever. Um, but it was really through flexibility that I started to handle a lot of these things. Right. I, I handled my shoulder. Um, I handled my hip. You know, later down the road, I found that just in my hip rotation, one side had a lot of external rotation and no internal rotation. The other hip had a lot of internal rotation, no external rotation. One hip was hiked up. I mean, just all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And of course, like physical therapists are just like, you have scoliosis and you have a leg length discrepancy. And you, I mean, I've heard it all. Right? like, I've heard all these different things and, you know, it's, well, there's only so much you can do and you know, if you keep training like this, you're just going to have to deal with this. And, and those are just all the typical things. And of course, like, you know, you get your little training program, your little three sets of 15, 20 sets of band pull aparts and your mo- hip mobilizations, where you like move your knees back and forth. And then you get like, you might get some PNF stretching on the table, but then they give you like a few stretches that you do for 30 seconds. And that was it. And nothing, nothing ever really handled it. And it was my journey through exploring flexibility, true, real flexibility, um, that really, that really handled it, um, and that's what I grabbed onto um, because I had all the same, I had all the same ideas about flexibility that other, every other grown strong man has, right? Like, it's for girls, it's genetic, I can't be flexible, it's not possible, um, you know, the, the list goes on. Um, and, and when I started to see a little bit of progress, I just kind of bit onto it and I took it from there and and I took it from not being able to touch my toes to touching my head to my toe. I mean, I took it. That's kind of what I do when I get involved in things. Like my wife will tell you it's, it's, it can be a problem sometimes. Like when I get into something, I'm into it. Good luck getting me out because I'm, I'm committed and this is what I'm going for. So that's kind of my history with it. You know, I, I've learned from a lot of guys that I'm sure we'll probably talk about a little bit during the whole the process here. But um, in my opinion, I've learned from very few of the only people I would ever listen to regarding flexibility. And I, I just, I've always had a really good skill for seeking out the people with the right information. You know, the, the, the thing with the internet is that there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of benefit to it but there's also a lot of bad information out there. And a lot of people, unfortunately don't, and I don't mean this in a negative way, like they're not educated, but they don't have the education on how to sort through bad information. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of people take things at face value without the ability to critically think for themselves or without any sort of application on the subject to really just find out for themselves. Right. So um, that's kind of what I do is I dive head in like, you know, and look, you know, subjectively, but also objectively at what, what it is I'm kind of studying and and if it works or not. And then now, you know, seven years, almost eight years down the road of, of being involved in this modality of physical training. Um, I've learned a lot and I've, I've taught others a lot and, um, I've helped others a lot with it. And I, and I can, and I just want to continue that. So that's kind of that's my brief sort of background without getting <laughs> too many directions here, because there's a lot, you know we all have so much right. Like, if you've been training for a decade, like there's just so much you could say about it, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, no,
0: that's 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 brilliant. It's really thorough, and uh, you've got a real diverse background, like, you know. That's one of the reasons I want to talk to you is you're not just a flexibility guy. You're actually very strong, and you do numerous things. And I knew you had a pretty diverse background. Um, yeah. and it's, I'm, I'm glad you got into that because uh like i'm, I'm a big fan of not being just tunnel visioned on one thing but like having like taken everyone's opinion in and just kind of as you said dissecting the good and pushing yeah. away the better taking the good and dissecting the bad i suppose is the best yeah. way of it. um i think that's really important and like you said the the internet can be very confusing for some people and if it's confusing yeah. for me and you to go on and look uh, about strength conditioning um, yeah. aspects, I can only imagine what it's like for someone who is, let's say, an accountant or a, a shopkeeper and they go on and they're trying to research flexibility and these terms are coming in and they're not exactly, no, not exactly true. It's very con- convoluted and stuff. So maybe if if we could get, again, like, your opinion like what what is flexibility and like, where is the difference between flexibility and mobility or flexibility and strength and yeah. Is there a, a very definite black and white line or is it more in is there a gray zone as well? Just your opinion on it, Jeff.
1: Yeah. So um there's so many people who have tried to define what flexibility is, what mobility is, what strength is, right? This is essentially a lot more people have tried to define what strength is than the other two, but um you know, people like to break things up in I think in categories to kind of digest it. And so recently only recently I'd say. Of course, I think we can attribute it to one guy, and almost one guy only it made mobility popular, right? Like what mobility actually is. Um, I'll be very honest with you, and 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 my opinion is is that flexibility and mobility are the same thing. There's there's no there's nothing that separates the two of them other than a few different letters in a word. Um, now, you know, most people will say, "Oh, mobility is like." flexibility is your passive range of motion and then they'll say mobility is your active range of motion or or which you or the range of motion which you can display some physical capacity and control right which and i don't know about you but unless i'm like knocked out on a surgery table with um under drugs like there's nothing passive about anything that i do in my daily life like i'm very active from the time even even when I'm sleeping, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, I'm, I'm kind of in control of everything that I do day to day in my life. That's just, it's not, there's nothing passive about my life or what I do as long as I'm living. And like, like I said, unless I'm drugged under, on a table under surgery or something, which I've been fortunate I've never had to do. Um, so yeah, like I said, to me, there's no difference. Well, let's, let's look at the words, right? So, so flexibility is, you know, the ability to flex, this comes from the Latin root word means bend, you know? Um, and then mobility is obviously move. Um, so the ability to move, the ability to bend, kind of the same thing. Um, yeah. So it's, to me, it's, it's really nothing more than somebody trying to sell you um, a program. <laughs> like Really, that's what it comes down to, right? It's, really, I think is that flexibility is a scary word for people. So somebody got the right idea in marketing and said, well, if I just take flexibility and I call it mobility, everyone's going to buy into it. Mm-hmm. And Whoever that was, was right. Change the wording around a little bit. We see it in marketing all the time, right? We, we, we see it in marketing. We see it in businesses all the time. You, you get a bad rep and all you got to do is change the name on it. And all of a sudden people, people associate like certain things with that word and then you take it out of it and people don't associate it anymore. So, flexibility is a bad thing, but mobility is a good thing. So fine. We'll, we'll ride that train and mobility, flexibility, whatever. Um, But I'm here to kind of tell people that it's, it's, it's not any different than one or the other really. Right. Like, and if mobility is the capacity or the strength, which you can exhibit through a range of motion, then cool. It's strength. So we're still back to like really simple principles here, right? Like you have flexibility and you have strength and, and, you know, that's kind of the baseline, I think, where the best place to start the conversation, Um, you know, because people think that flexibility is like this esoteric quality, and I talk about this a lot, like it, like it kind of just floats up here in this supernatural realm that like only so many can get or achieve or, or, uh, or you're born with it, or there's like some stage of enlightenment that you have to reach to attain it, and it's just like, it's not true at all, Um, everybody has the capacity to be flexible. Unless you are, unless you are born with some sort of, you know, genetic, anatomical, uh, you know, disease or issue or something like that, like everyone has the capacity to to do the splits, to do the front splits, to do the side splits, maybe not 180 degrees, but definitely 170, 175 degrees, and everyone has the capacity to build a back bridge. There's nothing that keeps anybody from doing that, other than just the way they think and what they've been told. So. Yeah, that's
0: that's cool. And, and as you said, people's perceptions are really important. And I guess trying to break them down and um, make put them into simpler terms, like as you said, like the the board essentially doing the same thing. And we're trying to, and we're going to touch on this in a second. It's just like we're trying to get everyone's level of flexibility is dictated by their the range that those joints or muscles to get into. I guess and all yeah. o- like a perception I would have had. Um, and again, coming through the education system was mobility was in reference to joints and flexibility was in relation to muscles have you heard that before
1: yeah but i think it's hard to separate the system because what dictates the movement capacity of a joint the, the soft the soft yeah. tissue around it i mean that's the other thing too like like let's get that out of the way because you know most trainers still think that our body operates on a system of columns and levers but if we look at the math of it and the science of it and we look at like what most biomechanical engineers say that that basically the the role of the joints and the and the bones are to support the mass of the soft tissue on your body but if that but if that was the case we wouldn't be alive just just the amount of force that we put onto into the body on a daily basis far exceeds the capacity of a bone's ability to withstand force so what people need to understand is that for the most part, every bone on every animal or human on the planet requires the same amount of force to break. So the bone of a mouse and the bone of an elephant break under the same amount of force. So by, by the thinking that the bone supports mass is, is, is just wrong. It's just not true because elephants wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist. Every time I took a step, I if, if a baseball player hit a baseball, they would literally just evaporate mm-hmm. into thin air. I mean, they would just vanish because the forces put through the body are so high. It's far, again, it's far beyond the capacity of what passively we test in a laboratory that, that bones and stuff can, um, you know, can withstand. So, so what does that, where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with the idea of that our body is what's a t- what's considered a tensegrity structure. So tensegrity is, um, a concept used in engineering where basically you have um, a system of compression and um, tension and that system is what suspends the the network of support structure right so the best the best picture I like to paint people is it is a tent right so if we look at a tent and um, you know, not like a new Coleman tent, like one of those old school military type tents, you know, where there's just like a, like a, a pole in the middle and then like, it's just a, you know, fabric over it. And then everything's supported basically by a network of, uh, of cord or cable or string, right? Um, without that string, prior to the invention of these new fancy microfiber like poles or whatever, um, you, you had to have this equal force. Of, on each side of the tent right to maintain the shape and the structure of this tent And if you if you were to take that away from one side, it would collapse and essentially that's how the body works So if we look at like a for instance another good example is a spider web, right? a spider web is its integrity structure so The amount of force that occurs I don't know the exact number when a fly flies into a spider web is actually very very high but the spider web can absorb that force, because the way it dissipates the force through the entire network of, of, you know, of silk with the web, but, you know, for us, it would be our, our soft tissue, our muscle. So when, anytime we, we do an activity, um, the entire network of soft tissue will dictate the capacity and the range and the strength and the force output and the ability to withstand the force, uh, collectively. So of course we can isolate muscles to some degree or whatever, but even that's been proven for the most part to be, um, in some ways false, right? Like, like you can, we know on an EMG that you can repeat the same pattern over and over and over. And every single time different muscles fire at different rates at different times and and all these different things. So there are ways to isolate it, but even within, even when you're doing a bicep curl, you might contract your abs, on one rep you might squeeze your foot on the other you know what i mean like there's so many things going on that you don't even see um and that's essentially how it works so the soft tissue suspends the bone structure right and and we know that if if i were to take all the soft tissue off your body your bones would essentially just collapse to the floor so that's how the body works um you know and it's a heavy topic like you really want to get into it biotensegrity is and the research on it has been around a long time um, and it meets all all the all the science of like Darwin evolution and um, you know it, it aligns with everything else we know about science to date how we got here and why we're here and all these things um, the system of column levers doesn't it's not it doesn't work practically in, in within a body like obviously we can manipulate leverages and things like that because we still do have like joint angles and, and what have you but the rules that apply to columns and levers as far as, like I said, force input and output, um, are not the same. So, you know, we also have to understand that columns and levers don't rotate. We rotate. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of like the basis of, of how our body operates. And, um, again, it's just one of those things that like guys are still taught that, that like that that's how it operates. That's not true. so
0: So the way I'm kind of reading it is like, like flexibility or desire the, the, like our, mus- our muscle or our soft tissue is essentially like um, a protective mechanism okay um, for our bone structure. So yep. what is the benefit of somebody having like a flexibility or a, a, good, a good level of um, flexibility in their muscles and soft tissue versus somebody who's very in inverted commas like rigid or tight or stiff um why why would someone want to be more flexible
1: so um if if we go back to the the topic of of tinsegrity and how the structure works um and, and if if people listening want to do a little bit more research on it um you know we can always give them my information afterwards and i can send them plenty of literature and i can send them i also did a talk on it for real movement where i where i kind of really broke it down to simple terms because when you start to read the literature you're you're going to you know, it's it's thick, so you're gonna have to take some time to kind of dissect it and and what have you. But what we have to understand is that the the quality of the of the supporting structures, right? So when something takes load, um, its ability to to dissipate the force outwards um, is determined by the quality of of whatever that that is right? So for instance, if, um, if it's a spider web, right? Like if half the spider web is broken, obviously, you know, if I come over and I, and I, with my hand break half of it and something hits it, I mean, it's basically, it's at risk. Like it's not going to be able to absorb the same amount of force that is if it was like perfectly untouched, brand new, fresh spider web, you know, kind of sitting up in the corner of our house. Um, and again, our body works the same way, right? So when, when we put, load or force through a joint or muscle group, the quality of that tissue around the joint is going to dictate how well you can move it, how long you can move it for, or move that weight or produce force. Um, and so basically to just make it really simple, the more movement capacity that you have within a, within a joint, the more flexibility that you have, the less soft tissue gets overused and stressed okay right so the role of the role of the biotensegrity structure is for the strongest the strongest muscles in the chain to absorb the most force and dissipate the load away from the weakest chain right so if i'm doing a bench press obviously the you know we know mass moves mass so the pecs are bigger than the rotator cuff for instance right so the pecs are going to take majority of the load because they are going to be the bigger, stronger muscle. Now it doesn't mean you don't need a healthy rotator cuff. I mean, this is exactly what we base all of our training off of. And, and you'll start to see like, oh, that's, you know, we, we do all these things to reduce injury or to come back from an injury. And then you start putting all the pieces together and then you start to understand really the importance of it. But basically the greater the capacity of the weaker areas, the better protected I'm going to be in the, in the less that the the, the the bigger stronger tissues have to absorb and take the load it gets much deeper than that if you look into like dynamic systems theory and stuff like that like no movement that we ever do is the same right so it used to be thought that for instance when you're practicing a skill like let's just say weightlifting right like or let's just do bench press because you 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 know you're you're your guys um you know that's sort a big of, yeah. part of your market powerlifting right so on camera when somebody executes a bench press, it might look the same every single time. For the most part, it's gonna have close to the same bar path, at least to the naked eye, um, where he presses the bar from, you know, the tricep engagement, the pec engagement, the arch of the back, like for the most part, you, you try to duplicate that as much as you can, right, for the sake of efficiency. But then when we look at it underneath like a slow motion camera, um, and then we start adding, like I said earlier, like we start reading electric magnetic pulses and we see like at what rates and we start putting the little electric pads all over your body and seeing at what rates the muscles are firing then we start to see a different picture we start to see that that bar path moves almost every single time that you do a rep you're never every time you bench press even though it might feel the same and look the same the same thing is not occurring every single rep even if it's ever so slightly you know a millimeter displaced here millimeter displaced there maybe your elbows are out a little bit more maybe they're in a little bit you know i mean there's so many different that we can go down that rabbit hole, but um, basically the options are in a way unlimited, but that's based on that's based on the, your capacity at that joint. So even within a, a, a fine like a super finite amount of space, you have infinite amount of options, right? So like for instance, if I'm reaching towards the table to grab my cup, I could do that all day long and every single time I do that, my hand is gonna move in space differently. Like there's gonna be, it's gonna change almost every single time. So skill acquisition is not about, it's not about learning the perfect way to do something 10,000 times more than it is learning 10,000 perfect ways to do the same thing. So it becomes more, skill acquisition is more about how many variables are you capable of displaying and controlling to execute a certain skill because it's never going to be the same. And if you try to limit that within an athlete, that's when you start to run into problems. And we start to, we see that all the time, you know, um, there's obviously, there's obviously principles in lifting and weightlifting and how we should execute things and do things. Right. But for the most part, like the way many athletes do things could be totally different. I mean, if you look at any top power lifter, there's a lot of guys who bench different ways. Look at any squatter. There's a numer- There's there's almost an infinite amount of ways people squat, or the way they squat, their form squat, or the what they think about when they squat, or you know what I mean. Like, and you can take any activity and you can apply that concept to it. Um, you know, even under the most controlled setting. Again, powerlifting is three movements, but then if you get into a sport where you're cutting, jumping, sprinting, backpedaling, tackling, you know, whatever you name it it just gets even more, more abundant from I mean, it's, I mean, at this point you just go out, it's like looking at an atom and then looking at the universe, like it just ex- exponentially increases outward from there. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, flexibility offers you, it gives you more options in your body, which everyone can use. Like there's no, there's no situation which an athlete, would not benefit from having more options in any given moment of their entire life. I mean, imagine you're trying to teach your child to ride a bike, but but you give them a, a very fixed set of rules on which to operate in order to learn how to ride the bike. All of a sudden, it's going to be very hard for that for them to learn how to ride a bike. How do most kids learn how to ride a bike? You throw them on that thing and they just go for it. There's no rules. There's no regulations other than gravity. That's about the only thing that might have played some role initially in the like in the, the development of the skill of learning how to ride a bike. But if I were to tell my daughter, well, you have to, or my son, I don't have a daughter, but, you have to have your foot this way and you have to push through your knee this way. And you're, you have to sit up. And all of a sudden I start putting all these regulations on how they're start, supposed to acquire a skill. You start to run into issues. And we see that every day in the gym. We see that now all the time with sports is we have a lot of people who think they're a lot smarter than they really are because they think they've outsmarted evolution and so they try to confine an individual's movement and abilities. And and then we start – I mean, if training is so advanced, why why are non-contact injuries through the roof? Mm. I mean, they're through the roof. There's no reason for that. We don't have an explanation for it. And the only explanation we look at is strength training, like we've only ever, ever looked at for the past 100 years. Like, that must be the answer. Every All the answers within strength training. It might – let's not look at almost the the one thing that almost every trainer rejects because that doesn't, that won't fix anything. Right. Like, like we know that if you have shoulder pain in your bench press, the thing to do is just to keep bench pressing. Right. No, we're going to look at like, what are we not doing? Why did, why, what, what are we doing the least of, or where are we weakest? What are we going to bring up to, to take shoulder pain away from this individual so they can bench press better. But we don't do that in a, in a bigger scale, right? Like it must be something with the, with the strength training it must be yeah well let's look at flexibility and i'm not talking about like looking at flexibility like your physical therapist is going to give you some generic s- subscription of exercises of flexibility and you do it until you're out of pain and then when you're out of pain you don't do it anymore it's it's not that's not flexibility
0: okay that um a lot, lot covered there. okay so i'm gonna try and sum it up right um for me like flexibility means options options and 100%. movements is, would yep. that be a fair summary
1: it's as easy as that
0: okay so that's what i'm saying so the the, the tighter or the, the lack of flexibility someone has the less the less options they have so we take somebody in sport less options uh, will obviously mean someone being less athletic but at more
1: risk of an injury would you agree jeff i think the correlation can certainly be made a lot okay. of people would argue that there's no correlation there okay but come on like Let's look at, let's just look at it. Like, and I've, I've worked with, you know, we have 4,000 athletes on the system right now. Um, there's not an individual who's ever come in that gym, who's had a problem with an area who's displayed a poor amount of flexibility in that area and or strength, which again, we'll, we'll get to that because to me it's one and the same, but that's what they have. No one comes to you and is super strong and is displayed super amount of flexibility and is like, like man, I'm in pain. Like yeah,
0: I think we just after losing Jeff there. Um, reception is just a cutting out a small bit on us.
1: Okay, hopefully you can jump back in soon.
0: Apologies for this. Now, all right, cool. We got we got Jeff back. We got the got the connection going again. Not too sure if it was the Irish reception or the the Florida one, but uh. So, Jeff, we were just chatting on the relationship between uh, high levels of flexibility and high levels of strength in relation to an athlete, a field sport athlete.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I like I was saying, like the correlation can definitely be made that the ability to display a given amount of flexibility certainly will dictate injuries can. And we've seen that, like the research shows that they've, they've shown that the rate of injuries in sprinters, um, the ones that get injured have less flexible hamstrings and, and, and the opposite on those who are not. So the ones who never get injured, they, you know, they test, you know they test joint angles and stuff and, and under flexibility. You know some kind of obscure test, but they, they have shown that that th- there's definitely a correlation to be made there, right? Okay. So, I mean that's go on PubMed. You can find plenty of research and literature on it.
0: And that idea, of the options make sense. Um, okay, so let's 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 change that for a second, right? And this is a, a query I've always said as as a, a powerlifter, Um, the argument is made that you only need enough flexibility for your sport. And that's a that's a common theme, not just in powerlifting, right? But we'll use it because it's easy. So an example in the squat, we only have to go to the point where we are at parallel. Okay. So there's a limited amount of hip flexion or knee flexion, whichever one the, right. the lifter focuses on more. So what would be the negative, if any, to that lifter having more range of motion than what is required for their sport? So if 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 that if that powerlifter could squat his, his ass to grass face. Is, right. is there a follow over? Is there a bad side to
1: that? There's no bad side at all. Zero bad side. Um, now, of course, there is like specificity principles, like, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean we can't include variation in our training. The greatest powerlifter of all time, Ed Cohen, squatted ass squatted ass to grass in the off season. Yeah, and he was healthy for the most part. I mean, he's he still trains to this day. He hasn't had hip replacements, knee replacement. you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot do. Um, so there's something to be said about that is that that variation in his training kept him for the most part, you know, powerlifting is a <laughs> it's a big time sport. There's a lot of, uh, there's, um, there's a lot of, you put a lot of forces on your body and powerlifting it can be hard on your body. Um, There's no doubt about that. And that's, that's like one thing on, like, let's just make people understand, right? Like when you, when you choose to participate in a sport, there's obviously sacrifices that you're going to, you are going to make for sure. There's no doubt about that. Like no one's saying that, but there, I do, I definitely do believe there's a lot that can be changed, changed in people's training that, that can to some degree reduce that. um, If not for the most part. For sure, especially in non-contact injuries.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, and that last kind of genre I wanted to touch on was uh, everyday person. So not as not as not an athlete, not a competitive power We we'll just we we'll just say it's it's um, a guy that trains three or four days a week. He does some some cycling, some jogging, some weight training. He got it pretty diverse. Where does where
1: does flexibility come into the to the scenario for him? I would say it's probably a high priority. I mean, I think that quality of life is what's going to dictate most people's training, right? Like at the end of the day, really, like, if you ask somebody like what their goals are, what they want to do, right? Like Mm -hmm. even after you're done powerlifting, you still want to have like a nice life. You want to be able to move around. You don't want to have to be pushed around in a wheelchair. I mean, you know what I mean? Like maybe some, maybe there's a couple extreme guys out there who don't (laughs) really care. Like fine. I want to be the best powerlifter in the world, and I'm and I'm willing to like live in a wheelchair after that. That's hey, man. That's it's your body, it's your life, it's your call. But I I would say for the most part, quality of life is the thing that people want the most, right? Yeah. And but for but for some reason, again, of course, there is some sacrifice when it comes to performance. Like yeah, you your body like sports are kind of they're unnatural for the most part, right? Like at the extreme levels that we've taken them. Um, so you know, how many times in history does somebody bench 800 pounds? I mean, not, not very often. Like we didn't evolve doing that really. Right. So, um, again, there is sacrifice. And, and of course, like training comes down to structure and time and recovery and all these different things. So like, if we have 30 different modalities that we're trying to cover, it just gets too much. It gets too, it's just too much to do for anybody. Right. So like, and that's what you normally see the woman goes to her cycling class and then she goes to her yoga class and she goes to train with her trainer two to three days a week. And then she goes to play with her kid. Like there's just a lot of different things happening. Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but like, I don't think it has to be that separated. And I don't think it has to be that complicated. And I think a lot of people are wasting their time on a lot of those different things, but that's just my opinion. Um, so yeah, I mean, For the everyday person i would say it's more important because the everyday person again is not looking to break records or or uh, compete or you know they just want to be able to run around with their kids i mean you know i was with somebody yesterday we have those trampoline parks here i don't know if they're popular are they popular there
0: um no nothing
1: so they have these like huge massive trampoline parks where you just go and you jump on them and you know it's like a cool like a fun thing for kids or whatever And uh, I was probably one of the hundred dads in that place that was actually out there jumping and enjoying that with my child. Right. And I think that's like, even though I'm in this industry, I think that's really what most people want the most is really to just like have the capacity to enjoy everyday activities. And even in the most mundane tasks that you do day to day, again, you have to think of how much variability is required of your body, especially if you have kids. I mean, Jesus, like it's, they're so unpredictable. I can't even count how many times I'm randomly reacting to like things all day long, that if I didn't have the the capacity, I I can imagine like twisting my knee or hurting my shoulder, like, you know, whatever. But fortunately I'm, I built myself up to be resilient enough to withstand those, uh, that kind of randomity that comes from, from life. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And that's, you know, like capacity or or
0: resilience is is another real good way of summing up flexibility gives us that options uh, and everyday kind of gym goer is probably gonna have less randomness like you spoke about than maybe a high level like rugby player or something where there's so much going on. But they will still deal with like, like you said, dealing with a kid and you know, taking chopping out of the back of the car and twisting, cutting the lawn or whatever it may be. There will be acts throughout the day that would be difficult for them to do or just require a certain amount of, a certain amount of range of motion. If you don't have it, um, yeah. your risk is increased or your quality of output is going to be less. So that's yeah. that's really like Jeff, that's really what well explained. and it makes a lot of sense in my head, okay? Um, and if it makes sense in my head, that's good because my head is pushing. <laughs> yeah, you're doing good, okay? So um all right. So now that we've we, we've we have we have we have got a good place of flexibility. We've kind of defined what it is, how it's different, the mobility or how it's not really different at all. And we've kind of went through the importance of it, right? So right now people should have a lot of buy-in for it, okay? Um, at least they're kind of building up an idea of it. So how this has been as broad, but how will we go programming flexibility into it? All right. Like
1: how do we start Big topic? Um, So I think this is a good part to kind of talk about the different modalities of flexibility. Yeah. Right. So what's the most popular modality of flexibility that you can think of today? Like what is it that everybody does when they want to try to be a little bit more flexible?
0: In my opinion, um, probably like passive
1: stretching yoga, right? Yeah. Uh, yoga yoga. Is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yoga, yeah. Like that's what, that's like the association is that yoga is flexibility. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you right now, I've taken a lot of yoga classes and I've taken a lot prior to, I guess my, my being flexible. Um, and for anybody who knows, especially if you're a guy, if you go to a yoga class, you're going to end up standing there three quarters of the class because mm-hmm you're not going to be able to do anything in that room too hard. Um, It's too hard. There's no, there's no regression. There's no progression. You have to go consistently enough to know what the flow is going to be. Otherwise you're constantly looking and seeing like, what's the transitions and like all these things. Right. So it's like, and then everyone's like, Oh, well, like I don't get flexible. So, you know, I might feel a little better. There's nothing wrong with yoga, but I might, you know, I might feel a little better. I might move a little bit better just because I've just moved in a hundred different ways that I probably would have wouldn't have moved anyway, but it doesn't actually really build the capacity of flexibility. Like if you really look at successful yoga teachers and things like that, for the most part, not everybody, but the overwhelming majority, were already probably dancers or gymnasts or, you know, involved in, in a sport, which requires a high level of flexibility just as a natural or part of the sport. So, and those are the most successful. And a lot of them are not very good at getting adults flexible at all. Um, you know, it's just not, they don't. Um, there's a lot of people who have come to us from yoga backgrounds who have been doing yoga for a decade or more and don't have their splits. I can get somebody their splits in in a year and a half. So why is it that you've been doing yoga for a decade and you don't have your splits? Um, and a lot of that has to do with the actual the actual physical qualities of flexibility and And the thing that people need to understand to kind of start off programming is that the rules are the same for developing strength as it is for developing flexibility. You have to have sufficient amount of volume, time under tension, um, progressive overload. Um, All these things are important in determining how flexible you're going to be. And then of course, just strength. Like, you know, even if it's quote unquote passive, you have to have, some, um, some strength to, to, to perform the move, like to perform any sort of feat of flexibility, I guess you can say, um, the positioning of the splits and the things like that. You know, even if we just look at a squat, like you have to even no weight on the bar or whatever. I mean, we, you and I both know, there's a lot of people out there that can't even squat body weight. So the dirt, you know, relative to the individual, there's still require it still requires a good bit of strength. Um, So when we look at programming, you know, there's obviously so many different kinds of stretching, right? We, there's the one we all know that's, that's passive quote unquote, stretching where you just hold a position for a long duration of time. There's dynamic stretching in which you you move uh, through different movements um, depending on the sport or the activity um, to warm up positions that you might need to use for that sport. There's, pnf stretching there's isometric contractions or you know within stretches there's um weighted quote-unquote stretching there's ballistic stretching i mean there's so many different kinds right and of course now this is where it gets all like for most people is like it, it gets to be a lot um but essentially what has to happen is 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 the research shows that nothing really goes on in the cells until after about two minutes. So anybody who's stretching under that, you're not stretching. Um, the cells aren't even responding. You're, you're not, you're not getting any activity whatsoever. Um, after about two minutes, things start to wake up. Um, and, and so basically it, what the research is showing is that on about an average, and again, this depends on the muscle group of the person and things like that but you need about five minutes of time and attention to make any sort of significant changes to a muscle group in terms of its range of, in terms of its range of motion and its flexibility. You know, it's the same reason that like when you're in the gym, you have your warm up sets and then you start getting deeper into your sets and your range feels better. You know, like things start to feel better and move better as you go along. It's and there. Again, it all comes down to the physiology behind, like behind that. Right. And, And the same, again, the same thing for stretching, you have to hold it long enough to make a difference. I mean, that's just like the bottom line. That's the, the most basic thing that people need to start. If you want to start changing your flexibility today, hold it longer because doing it for 30 seconds at the end of your workout, is not going to cut it.
0: Sorry, Jeff, you cut in there. Is, is that two to five minutes? Is that continuous or could that be four 30 second belts?
1: It's, it's basically total volume. So, okay. you know, so you can break it up. You know, you could do multiple sets. You could do one long hold. Um, you know, but really what we try to look at is like, who, who is flexible and what do they do? Right? Like the same way you and I would like, who is the bench presser and the best bench presser in the world. If I want to improve my bench press, who's the best bench presser in the world and what do they do? A lot of what they do is going to tell us, at least give us some idea of what direction to go. Um, and if you look at the most flexible athletes, they hold stretches for a long time. I mean, these super flexible women. You know they they will just sit in a pancake in front of their TV for ten minutes while they're watching. You know I mean these young girls, these dancers and things like that. Um, they 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 stretch for a long time. And who are the ones that are not flexible? Well, the ones who don't stretch for a long time and the ones who keep trying to beat a dead horse with thirty second stretches over and over and over and over and they don't get anywhere with it. So you know objectively that came first, and then later the research showed. I don't I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was a, I believe a female sign. you know she she tested cells to start to and she stretched them under microscope and, and again it was like two minutes that they started to wake up and you started to see the physiological changes start to occur then it's the same thing as if like imagine you went to the gym and you did only five bicep curls at a low intensity every single day do you think your biceps are ever going to improve
0: and when what physiological change was she seeing? was she seeing a change in the muscle length so,
1: yeah, that's the other thing, right? Is like, do muscles, like, yeah, this is have other, length like, physically?
0: Yeah. Um, do they lengthen? Is, is, because that's what you think, in your, as what, like, people will think, is that muscles, when they stretch, we say yeah, yeah, yeah. Curl, you're hamstring and your spinal rectus are
1: stretching. It's like long, getting longer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. No, Elastic so, bands, this, yeah. Right, so basically, the physiological changes that occur is there's some high degree of isometric contraction at the end range. And we know that if we look at the force-velocity curve, an isometric contraction is a, the absolute amount of force you can produce, right? One rep max isn't even generally maximum amount of force you can produce. Trying to move something, an unmovable object, is the maximal amount of force that you're going to produce. Um, so at the end, very end range, let's just say I'm just doing it, just trying to touch my toes, right? The the contraction that occurs, the isometric contraction that occurs is where the physiological changes come in. So there is soft tissue changes to some degree. Now, the thing about the muscle length thing is is no, your bicep is not necessarily getting longer, right? Like the amount of tissue that's there for the most part, you know, the length of it from joint to joint is the same. Like the amount of distance from my shoulder joint to my elbow joint is exactly the same. The space between that of the soft tissue is exactly the same. A lot of it is the neurological perception and the ability to allow that muscle to lengthen to its full capacity. So it's predominantly neurological again, just like strength training. We get strong neurologically. Now, obviously we have ways to manipulate load to produce more mass, to be stronger because more mass moves more mass right? So there is a degree of um, of soft tissue that is necessary to move a lot of load. I would say that's a bit overdone considering there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of guys just like eat like a truck and they just get overweight and they think that's like the, the key to, in know, in a maximal strength sport, if you're trying to deadlift a thousand pounds, we're starting to see powerlifters get a lot leaner, move more weight and things like that. Like we're starting to see that. So it's not exactly that, but but the thing too is like what people <laughs> with this whole biotin with this tensegrity thing, not only from a, from a macro level, when you look at the body, does it work like that? But on a cellular level, it works like that. The cells work under the same amount of laws and principles that from a macro level. So we think we tend we turn to, we tend to think of a bicep as like a muscle, but really a bicep is thousands of muscle fibers. Each muscle fiber has its own amount of sarcomeres. And within those sarcomeres, they have their own length muscle their ability to contract produce force tension length like all these different things so it gets super super complicated it's not as it's not as much as just like looking at a bicep as a bicep because it's it's not just like one muscle mass it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of muscle fibers within you know what I mean so and again each one of those fibers have their own individual identity in terms of tension and lengthening uh cycles so you can't isolate an, a muscle group down to you know like this this length tension or strength tension relationship you can't do it it's it's too much going on um so yeah
0: yeah no that, that's that's cool that that makes sense and yeah and okay so i, I want to come back to the agonist antagonist um theory in a second, but I I don't want to go too far off topic. So we go back on the programming side of things, right? So we, you've spoken about trying to to accumulate about two to five minutes. After two minutes, we see a difference in the cellular level. Um, Okay. So that's what we're looking for. Okay. So does that mean the best, uh, maybe best known, but like the, the most beneficial way of improving flexibility is to go about it
1: that way. Is there any outliers to that? Um, some, there's some, like for instance, the, the guy going for the world record high kick right now has a really good, um, he has really good display of like what people would consider passive flexibility, Mm -hmm. but he can't control that flexibility in an open chain environment with his leg. So, so what I'm basically saying is like, he can do a standing split, but he can't just like lift his leg up against gravity, just like straight into the air. Right. But again, like you're trying to isolate a specific movement down to one simple pattern. And it's not as simple as that. Like when you jump into a high kick, there's rotation, there's producing four, like there's a lot of things going on that are going to dictate like how that joint gets to where it needs to be in space. Um, So the bulk of flexibility training should be passive Again, I don't really like the word, but passive stretching. It should be, absolutely.
0: And that, that's let's
1: make, make it clear. That's the two minute to five minute range. Yeah. Sit in a stretch and hold it. Hang on. And don't move out of it. Don't move around like sit in there and breathe and hold it and stay there and keep doing that for an extended amount of time to improve the range of that of that joint. And
0: I'm coming at this from again from a very much a strength conditioning point of view. But would you would you go with the point of view is you would go like a muscle by muscle or a joint by joint or like a lower body upper body? And would you would you even go like all right, we're going to do three days a week of flexibility and we're going to follow like you said two to five minutes and we're going to do like a full body type flexibility session?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can you can. That's kind of what I've done. I mean, a lot of flexibility stuff just has like so many different variations of the same thing, right? Like you stretch your hamstrings, you might do 10 different stretches for your hamstrings, which for a lot of people, as we know, especially like designing programming variables and variability and like, it kind of helps keep the, keep it a little alive, right? For people that don't have the discipline of, of repetition and like mundane repetition, because really at the end of the day, like any quality that we're trying to be really great at, that's what it requires. Um, it doesn't really keep them interested, right? So, when you start to add 10 different stretches and maybe they're all for like a minute or whatever, then it has the same effect as if you were just to stand in one stretch and hold that stretch for 10 minutes. So, it's really about like, what are you going to stick to and what are you going to do? Um, I'm the kind of guy that I'd rather just have four stretches and do those and hold them for a long time and move on. I don't want to get, I don't need to get fancy. I don't need to do a bunch. But for instance, when I run a class, I do a lot of different variations because it's just going to keep people a little bit more engaged and it's going to keep them a little bit more interested and it just makes it more fun because you're, you're trying out all these different things. So the golden rule is just remember two minutes is where we start to see changes. So I would say, you know, five, five minutes of accumulated time is a good baseline for most people to start per week. No more, no less, because there is diminishing returns. We don't know exactly where that's at. Um, there is a point where it's just like there's no need to do more work because you're simply now it's just time it's not necessarily like necessary to make progress right
0: okay and is that five minutes per muscle group or so again i break it down simple enough again if i was to say hold a pancake stretch for three minutes on a monday and two minutes on a friday would be my hamstring, hamstring, quadruplo work for the week. Yeah, it's it's when you put it like that, it's it's not that much of a sacrifice.
1: No, it's it's how and when, and and then of course, what are we doing in our weight training if that's our modality? Of course, what effect is it going to have? Like, what movements and ranges are we move, like using? Right, and this is like, this is the biggest pushback that you get from people in strength training. Right, is that the, the flexibility doesn't – it doesn't have a benefit, and if anything, it's negative because it doesn't reflect in what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But that's because you're taking let's, – let's, let's use American football as an example. And, again, powerlifting is a sport. So the worst thing that ever happened to athletic training is using other sports to train other sports. If you were a football player, you are a football player. You were not a powerlifter. Now that's not to say that certain movements from powerlifting don't grant us benefit, especially when it comes to maximal strength and, you know, these kinds of things, obviously that has a role, but when that's the only way that you train somebody in a, in a sport that has again, powerlifting in itself, we've already discussed this. So I won't, but within a bench press, you have almost near infinite possibilities of ways to execute that bench press. Even again, within the most finite amount of space, Again, now take somebody out to a football field. And if you want to understand this stuff a little more, my suggestion would be to study dynamic systems theory because it goes more into it. But if you think about the inputs that you get, the, the texture of the grass, the clothes, the fans in the stands, the smells, the temperature outside, the other individuals on the field on top, all of and So the, not just you, because you are just one individual, on American football, you play with 11 other guys or 10 other guys. There's 11 guys on your team on the field at any given time. And there's 11 on the other side. Now look at all these. We know that within a finite amount of space, your body has almost near unlimited options to execute that task. Now look at, now let's take a sport where we're looking at a large, much greater amount of ranges that a body's going to go through in any given time. And just the variables within that. And then now introduce the variables from all the other athletes on the field. And again, the environment, which plays another huge role, right? It's like shooting a, a free throw in basketball. A lot of guys can shoot a free throw in the in the in the on the court, no sounds, no fans, no nothing. Just swish, 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 shot after shot after shot. You get them on a court when there's fans and the people are yelling at them, and the smell of popcorn's in the air, and maybe the light isn't quite right, and now they can't hit a free throw. And those are the kind of variables that we have to look at. And when we train athletes who have to display a high high, high amount of movement quality and movement variability in a sport. And we extremely reduce that movement to given patterns. Then we start to see problems. Mm-hmm. So, but training like a powerlifter and then doing yoga is not the answer. We have to bridge that gap somewhere because having tons of range, but not being very strong in that range is, does not, is not going to benefit us. It, you know, it's not, um, From a health standpoint, you might be a little better off just more like, I've never heard of anybody complain of having more range of motion ever in my entire life. I've never heard anyone say that it's a negative thing. Um, Anybody who has it doesn't say it's a negative thing. And anyone who doesn't have it says it's a negative thing. It's simply because they're trying to justify the fact that they don't just don't have the range of motion. So Mm -hmm. to them, they need to feel, I mean, let's just be honest. They're trying to feel better about themselves, but there's no like, there's no real downside, but like, you know, if you only ever power lift, you only ever do squat, bench, deadlift, and you don't go through your full range of motion. Of course not everyone trains like that, but if you do, and then you go and do, you know, ballet where you like maybe hold long passive stretches, you know, that's kind of like what we've done at ATG is we've, how do we make an athlete flexible, but then how do we use movements which will strengthen this range as well, but it also comes down to how you stretch and and again we that goes more into programming because we use we don't just do passive stretches, we move on from there. Right? Yeah. So um so
0: ye and this is probably where we're coming to next is how where does like end range strength play into all this? Okay. And actually you might just you can't you you'd explain a lot better than me What, what is exactly is end range
1: strength. Yeah. I mean, it's just the the ability to produce force at the, at basically at the very end of a joint angle. Right. So um, now again, that's going to be dictated by how much movement you have in your body. Mm -hmm. You, you, you can only, you can only produce force where you have movement. You you can't like, I mean, other than isometrically to some degree, but if you can't move your joint somewhere, you can't produce force there. Um, So in range strength training, um, has a huge role, especially not so much in the beginning, in my opinion, because you simply just, you have to build a good base. And most people actually, what we, what we see, um, is that people improve lifts simply by getting more flexible. Now, whether it's some sort of potentiation effect that occurs, um, you know, you just, you just have more access to more stuff. You have more stuff to do, to do more things with. So, um, you know, how many guys like get stronger just by working on their squat mobility? Like they just start to open up their ankles and they start to, you know, open up their hips a little bit more. um, And all of a sudden their numbers go up. They've been doing the same things they've always been doing, but they added a little bit of flexibility in there and now it gets better. I mean, you just, you're able to recruit again. it, It just comes down to more options. The more options we have, the more muscle fibers we can recruit, the better off that we're going to be in almost any given situation we're going to be able to to produce more force we're going to be able to absorb more force, therefore we we get stronger, we get better um, you know so if i that's just the thing is you have to build strength and end range strength is kind of that gap, especially when we get into what's considered quote unquote extreme ranges of motion or what people would consider extreme ranges of motion yeah. but you know baller- like the thing about like ballet and even martial arts and stuff like that is they don't necessarily directly train end range motion as like a programming it's just part of their sport when you mm-hmm. have to do high kicks what are you doing you're training the hip flexor in a in a in an extended high you know what i mean like when a ballerina pulls her leg up into a standing split to execute a certain tap like she's inadvertently training that whether she knows it or not Right. And so that's kind of what we had to dissect is looking at them and going, okay, what are they doing? Oh, well, they're training their leg at this point here and they're standing split because when she does her routine, like that's what she has to do. Um, And we basically just deem that as like in range strength training. Right. So that's like, it's not like ballerinas go into the, into the studio and then stretch and then go home. Like, no, they actually like use a lot of that in what they do. And that's how they generate the strength that they generate is by using it in their tasks. Now, obviously if you're a powerlifter, you're not doing that. So we have to use exercises to solidify that range of motion. So you do, you can exhibit some strength there. Um, you know, you don't want the, you don't want it to be too far off. There's always going to be, by the way, there's always going to be some gap between what people have as passive and what people can control open chain like in space uh, there always, there's always going to be some gap there but we want to narrow it as much as possible and we just and as we haven't got much
0: time left but we're just gonna just one idea has popped into my head as we're going through it it was just like the idea of and we'll take a power lifter again okay so they have the ability to squat as the grass okay? yeah. they've got good passive flexibility but they only squash to parallel okay so would that class as them not using their end range strength basically and uh, are
1: or, or am i mixing that up as much i mean there's they're definitely well here's the thing if we look at the, the strength curve we're always going to be strongest in the middle always i mean that's we, we we can produce the most force through the middle of the strength curve right not at the bottom and not at the top um Basically what the most successful coaches has done and Charles Poliquin is like one of the biggest ones I can think of is is shorten that curve as much as we can. And that's when we start to see guys get away from injuries, they start to get pain free. Um, so are you going to always be able to for the most part produce more force near parallel? Yes. It's the middle of the strength curve. You're not going to be as strong coming out of the bottom. Um So, you know, that that's kind of like in strength training and in flexibility, that's kind of the gap that we're trying to bridge. Like we want the bell curve to be as, as small as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're the furthest away from risk. Um, so, you know, that's why a lot of guys are, st- you're always for the most part going to be stronger in a parallel squat than you are all the way down. Which um, is nothing wrong with that. Like if, if they have the capacity to do it to some degree, I think they're going to be fine. Again, it, it, you know, It all comes down to the needs of the individual and the athlete and things like that. My whole thing is, is just from we look at athletes from an injury standpoint or even a performance standpoint, because there's tons of research out there that has shown the correlation between improvement and flexibility, improvement and performance. And how do we like say performance? Well, you know, jumping, running, all these things that are mostly involved in sports, we see improvements in those things. Um, But again, it comes down to the, to the individual's, needs, right? Um, will, will it make him the best powerlifter in the world, the best squatter in the world, even if he only squats to parallel squatting all the way down? Well, they've actually shown that Astrograph's squats improve force output and inc- puts more um, inches on a vertical jump than a, than a quarter squat, yet a jump is just a quarter squat. So why is it that why is it that a full range of motion squat gives us more than a quarter squat, even though a quarter squat is closer to exactly what mm-hmm. a jump is, right? Cause when you yeah. jump, you don't squat all the way down and then jump. No, you just like, you break the hips a little bit, bend the knees maybe a little bit and you jump. Um, but I, I think it, I think it has, I think it has more, it's not just a direct improvement to performance the way people think about it. I think people, have to think about it from again, a resilient standpoint and the fact that you're going to be able to perform longer and better at a high level when you don't have to worry about the ranges of motion that you're capable in, that you're confident in, and that you're strong in. And when you don't, when you like, you have to think that when I go into the gym every day, I don't have to think about anything.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I can train my ass off and I never have to worry about my body ever. I've done squat programs where I squat three times a day i've done i've I've done a full session of lifting and then two hours later I go to the gym and I jump with the guys like maximal jump output like I've come into the gym and I've gone max speed sprinting cold not that I'm recommending anybody do these things but I've built a resilient body I never have to worry about my training I think most people never get to where they need to be in their training because they have to work all oh my my shoulder today. I have, they have to worry about what angles they're pressing in. Like they, they, they have so many limitations that they have to think with and work around subconsciously and consciously that they never see their true potential in training. And I think that's where the biggest benefit is. And I think that's what flexibility offers you as an athlete. Is it, if I stretch my hamstrings, will it make me a better sprinter? Yes. And no, there's plenty of evidence that supports, if you become flexible it can improve your your sprinting but stretching your hamstrings doesn't make sprinting better you know what i mean like that's that's not that it's not the a to a there it it has a bit of a deeper context that we have to look at that people are not looking at i guess i guess it gives you the potential would that be the only sure yeah i mean like there's plenty of athletes out there that if 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 you know, I think of LeBron James, there was a guy who played the same year, the same graduating class of LeBron James and was actually far better than LeBron James. But I think he had like some crazy injuries or something like just couldn't get out of that rut. Right. Or like Derek Rose is another basketball guy here in the States who they thought was going to be like as good as Jordan, but he got injured. And so that is, I think the most crucial aspect to, to most athletes is that they get injured because they have no capacity of movement or resiliency in their joints. They're extremely limited. Um, and they want to make a million excuses as to why that is. And they want to blame it on their genetics. And the same way I want to blame the reason I, I'm not going to get to Mr. Olympia is because I wasn't born with the genetics of Ronnie Coleman. But you have to understand that at that level, you're on the same playing field. You're not working harder than any butt guy in that room. It's not, it's not, you know, there's obviously there's so many factors in sports that come into play that genetics is actually one of probably the least determining factors of whether you're going to have success or not. It really comes down to your hard work. Do you stay healthy? Um, and if you look at some of the healthiest athletes, athletes objectively, they display and, and, and long careers, right? Like what makes great athletes great really? And I ask this question a lot to people is it the guy that played in the league one year and he was the best scorer that year and then he got injured and you never heard of him again? No, we don't, we don't care about him. You know, what makes Michael Phelps so great? The fact that he went to three, four Olympics, medaled in for, for over the course of 10 to 12 years. You know, look at Liu Zhao from China. I mean, the guy is like the most decorated weightlifter of all time. He's also been in the most Olympics because he's stayed relatively healthy. Um, and those are the kind of athletes that we look at. And when we look at them and what are the things that they're doing, right. Not only are they very good at their sport and their skill acquisition, but a lot of them have a high level of flexibility Mm -hmm. relative, relative to their sport and relative to the other athletes in their, in their sport. So to me, that's, that's the, the longer and harder you can train, the better and the stronger and better you're going to be at performing whatever it is that you're doing. If I was given the two of the exact same people and I was given five years to train one in the exact same amount. And I had 10 years for the other, who's going to be the better athlete? Well, eventually the guy who's training for 10 years is probably going to be the better athlete because he just has more, more time under his belt. But I think again, a lot of athletes don't get there, especially in team sports because the thing about team sports is that you're replaceable very quickly. If Johnny gets hurt throwing his shul- throwing a baseball, Stevens over on the sidelines ready to throw that ball. You know, we know in Olympic sports or even in powerlifting, which is a high-level strength sport, it takes dec- a decade, if not more, to get to that level. Any time lost in that decade, you're not going to you're not going to be at the top. And and that's what we know and that's like why I look to Olympic coaches and stuff for a lot of training modalities is because they understand a lot of them understand the benefits of flexibility. If you look at even some of the highest level strength athletes on the planet, you know, they can exhibit things like splits, pancake splits, front splits to some degree, you know, Klokov is like bigger than you and I combined. And the guy has like damn near perfect flexibility. He doesn't look like a ballerina, but he can exhibit a high level of flexibility compared to almost anybody else. You know what I mean? And and that's just like, that's the message that people kind of like, if you can get strong, you can get flexible, and and there's no reason that you can't have both. Um, and in flexibility, really, in the simplest of terms, is the the amount of range that you have, you're able to to exhibit some capacity of strength in. So, you know, you lose guys who are really good bench pressers lose overhead range of motion in their shoulder. Why? It's not because it's genetics it's because you've gotten so good at practicing one movement in one direction and that's the sacrifice you've made and that's why you lose that that flexibility in your shoulders and that's literally the only reason that's the only reason that we we don't have that is because we simply don't use it or don't display it and so and we and and once we lose it we don't spend time getting it back you know that's the biggest thing is like we all have it we all had it when we were kids we just lost it over time and then somewhere along the line, you thought it, become, it became this like magical quality that people have when really it's like we all have it. Um, some just work harder at getting it than you do. And, and that's, there's no excuse for it. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the plain fact of the matter. Science of it aside, the physiology of it all, This you know, put all that aside. And the bottom line is the people that have it work for it and the people who don't, don't. And it's really that simple. And there's no negative to having it. None that I have ever seen, but there's right. a lot of negative. There's a lot of negative effects to being tight as shit. I'll tell you yeah. that right now. <laughs> like, yeah,
0: hundred uh, <laughs> percent. And uh, as we were chatting, like it is, it isn't that much of a sacrifice to become a more flexible person? Like you were chatting about, and um, actually, I leave some recommendations under this podcast for maybe like well, how people could program it in. or chat with yourself, um, but. Yeah, we're kind of up on time there. i gotta, I got to shoot to work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, that was that was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that. And it was really, really informative for me. And I'm, I'm very confident that it will you know shine a light and some clarity on people who are uh, confused with flexibility. So this gives, to me anyway, we have a blueprint as to why we, yeah. why flexibility is important and how we can start to implement it. And as you said for like the reward we get it isn't that much of a sacrifice and like I'm saying sacrifice now as if, if you're a person that absolutely hates it it isn't that much of a sacrifice it's like what no, it's, it's, five minutes it's per sure muscle not. group per week it can be muscle groups, and you're probably going to get the smaller ones by doing that like you don't, you don't, have, you don't have to go stretching your brachialis like what there is if you get the, the, the big muscle groups, you're going to be kind of taking care of as you said five minutes a week isn't a lot to ask for so um, yeah like Jeff that was brilliant that was amazing I really enjoyed it and Yes, yeah, people can find you. I, I I'm confident that anyone's got any questions around flexibility, they're gonna to come to you now. So where, where could people find efforts?
1: Yeah, so you can find me um on Instagram, obviously, um at the Flexible. Um and from there you can pretty much find everything else I'm on. You know, I have like a TikTok and stuff like that. We're kind of experimenting with that. But um I am one of the four coaches at ATG. So if you guys have heard of ATG or Athletic Truth Group, um there's myself, uh Ben Patrick uh, Derek Williams and Connor Barth. And we're kind of the four guys that we all work together over there. Um, you probably, you could also find a little bit of my stuff on real movement. So I work with Lucas Aaron of real movement. So if you guys are part of the real movement platform or haven't, or have at least seen it, um, you can find some of my stuff there too. And, and you know, you'll, you'll find, like I said, from my Instagram, you can pretty much find everything else. We've done podcasts and, uh, all sorts of things, but, uh, you can find us there. If you're interested more in the, and just the, like the execution of it and trying to just be more flexible and get more flexible as an athlete or an individual, you know, you can find us at um, atgonlinecoaching.com. You can sign up for our programs there. They're straightforward. They're simple. Um, otherwise, if you're a coach, maybe you're looking to coach these things or maybe understand a little bit more about, uh, again, to get more d- deep into the discussion about the science of it and the research and, and all those kind of things, check out the Real Movement Platform because that's kind of where we put all of our coaching um i put all the coaching stuff out with lucas aaron we put it all in there so we kind of separate them a little bit so one's more for the coaches and one's just for the individuals that um that are just looking to improve it you know and and obtain it so um yeah that's where you can find me cool
0: um yeah i'm also a member of real movements i'm a big fan so any coaches out there I'd highly recommend getting on over there. For such a small investment. It's an unbelievable oh, yeah. resource. Um, so, yeah, Jeff, thank you, my man. Absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope all our listeners did too. Um, so that's all from us today. Uh, thank you very much. If you like this episode, just please like it, share it, and subscribe to our page. That's all the usual podcast uh, uh, jazz like <laughs> Yeah. the Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Take care.